Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. I am extremely excited tonight as we have the author, educator, and music legal and contract specialist, Professor Pooch, coming on. His name is also David Spangenberg, but we will refer to him as Professor Pooch because that is who the thousands upon thousands of people he works with call him. So before I do a nice introduction for him, I just want to welcome everyone to my show tonight. And it really is going to be a pleasure and honor bringing him on tonight because I think everyone in the entertainment industry, whether you are a musician, an actor, an author, can utilize his guidance and his expertise. He has so many services to offer. And the one thing that is just so genuine about him is that he truly cares about his clients and he really wants to bring out the best in them as well as protect them um, from unfortunately the challenges and uh, some of the difficulties we all can encounter in the entertainment industry. So he's going to join tonight some of the major acts I've had on my show. I have interviewed national bands such as Sons of Texas, Nonpoint, Otherwise, From Ashes to New, um, also comedians I've had on my show such as Don Jameson and Jim Florentine from VH1's That Metal Show, uh, Tom Carter, Carter from America's Got Talent, and the list goes on. So please check out the interviews and support all these people in the entertainment industry. I've done about 200 now. They are available on iTunes for free, and you can also download the podcast on my site. So a little bit about myself. Um, one of the things I truly enjoy doing is interviewing people. Um, my background is uh, as a clinical psychologist. That's what my doctorate degree is in. But I also have a passion for the entertainment industry. Um, as a singer-songwriter, I do some writing for some magazines, and then I really wanted to, similar to Professor Pooch, you know, create a forum where I can bring people on and really support them and help them spread their name and get their um, product and whatever it is that they do out there. Because we know how difficult it can be, especially when you're doing things independently. So if you're tuning in, create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. You can also call in tonight. The number is 805-243-1320. And that information is um, available on the site. I do have a chat room open, but because I'm going to be primarily focused on the interview, um, if you want to call in and ask questions, uh, please do so. A couple of things I would to throw out there is that although I mentioned I'm a clinical psychologist, my show is purely meant for entertainment purposes. We are not doing any type of a formal therapy or assessment, but sometimes we will throw terms around um, in an educational format to help people um, teach people and educate them. And also, we do want to keep things on the show um, anonymous. So, you know, sometimes we will talk about some entertaining stories, maybe some humiliating stories. Uh, we do like comedy, but we will keep any uh, specific persons, um, names, organizations, et cetera, um, anonymous. Okay, so let's do a nice introduction for Professor Pooch, and then we will bring him on. So with over 30 years, sorry about that, long day, of experience in the industry, he is referred to as a friend, students, clients, and thousands of others, as I mentioned, as Professor Pooch. He has been guiding the careers of musicians, songwriters, producers, as well as being a consultant to managers, music publishers, production companies, and record labels for, as we said, at least 30 years now. His history, which I really want to get into tonight too, is really rich because this is not just an individual 
who is an educator, a consultant, you know, writes contracts, et cetera. He really is multi-talented um, as a musician, as a producer, as a singer-songwriter, and that's a lot of what the background is that's going to lead us up to tonight, talking about how he got into what he is doing today. He has a comprehensive series of books, with one of them being titled The Music Is, along with four courses that are also available. And all of these really equate to a full-fledged college course. So we definitely want you to check out his website. Go to professorpooch.com, and it's the word professor and pooch, P-O-O-C-H.com. So let's bring David on and get this interview rolling. Hello. Hey, how are you? Hi, Terry. Oh, I'm fine. It's been a crazy day, and thank you very much for the kind words. Absolutely, absolutely. So, well, I understand it's been a crazy day, so that's up to you. We can talk about that a little bit now and then digress into your history, or we can bring that up later. (laughs) Well, I'll just state it really quickly, but uh, Philadelphia, uh, I was invited by Councilman David O. regarding a bill that with with uh, 15 other people now, you know, from all walks of, you know, known people in the music industry, because of the bill that was being put in, that they were trying to pass through, on licensing were clubs and stuff like that, the fly-by-nighters. And what happened was, as what will happen with, it happens in Congress, too, where somebody will write a bill and then other people get in and stick their two cents in, and that's where the mess came in. And the bill is dead. It's squashed. And what's come out of it also that will be brought up more in the near future is a music business task force to make it easier for people to do business in the city of Philadelphia in the music community. That's and that amazing. basically is, is you know, that's the crutch, crutch of it, you know. Crux yeah, of and just, I'm just curious, real quick, congratulations. I mean, that's a huge impact that you and all these other individuals had to, as you said, squash this bill and prevent it from moving forward. What was the bill specifically trying to do, just so I understand? Like, what were well, they trying what to prevent? What it was supposed to do is good old technology, and, you know, hiring DJs, stuff like that, people are licensed to be able to, you know, put shows on in Philadelphia. Well, what was happening was people were putting, you know, using iPads and other kinds of things to, and had the music coming out of there, you know, through speakers, et cetera, mm-hmm. and they weren't licensed to do it. Where the real problem came in, where it sounded ridiculous, and I'd love to know who really put it in, but they wanted to have all of a sudden the names and phone numbers and addresses of every person coming into Philadelphia to perform, and the people that in Philadelphia, their names, I mean, it was like a Gestapo, you know, or something. Wow. Somebody put in, it was not the councilman who put the bill in. But this is the kind of stuff that happens in government, you know, where all of a sudden, right. you know, it's, you, the aim is one thing, and all of a sudden something else is in there has nothing to do with anything. And that was thrown out really quick when, you know, I mean, the police department didn't even want to deal with that. Right. But it, it's just, it's just that the, it put out such negative promotion that it had to be squashed. 
and it was squashed. I mean, I'll give a lot of credit to Council Mesquilla, who, you know, came out, you know, and agreed that it, that's what was the thing that had to be done. It had to be squashed and done in a different way where all this other stuff and everybody throwing all these other things in had nothing to do with anything. That would have caused a ton of problems. And, I mean, the word spreads. You know, music, one mm-hmm. thing about music, anything affecting a musician spreads fast. And all of a sudden, right. I have clients all over the country, and they were calling in, what's this about Philadelphia? You know, and it's all over the place. And, you know, hey, I'm leaving this city, all, all kinds of stuff. So the point is, the major point is, the bill is squashed, it's dead, it's deceased with that old Monty Python skit the, with the dead power. You know, it is no more. It's an X bill. You know what I mean? Nice. Well, again, congratulations to you and, and all the people that were involved to, you know, prevent this from moving forward. And, you know, you guys have a huge impact, especially in Philly, because that's why don't we digress a little bit and get into talking a little bit about just, again, your upbringing and just really rich background that you have. Did you, um, did you grow up in Philly? Yes, I am a lifelong resident of Philadelphia. Yes, of course, I traveled and things in the music industry, but I've been a lifelong resident. I have never called any other place my home. Okay, okay. And then, so tell us a little bit about, again, I'm just curious, you know, growing up as a little kid, I know that around eight years old, that's when you started to get involved in the playing the violin, but prior to that, did you, and we know music is, you know, pretty much your life, but were there other interests you had that you can reflect back on as a little kid? I mean, were you into sports at all, anything? Yes. You know, okay, <laughs> I was into sports and music, and it's funny, that's okay. like a trivia thing on me, because, you know, later on, you know, my parents said, well, you have to go to college, and there was no music business colleges back then, so I was actually a phys ed major which very few people know. I was very heavy into athletics. The only problem I ran into is I couldn't grow and I couldn't gain weight. (laughs) I'm five five foot eight, thin. I'm one of those people that can't gain weight. And people say, Pooch, you're so lucky. I said, not in the winter. And it goes right to my bones and I freeze. I hibernate in winter most of the time, you know? Right. So, but, okay, so that's interesting. So as a little kid, what type of sports, you know, were you into? I started out as a gymnast. That was my wow. first thing. Well, my father and mother were both gymnasts. And uh, there was a, I was lucky. I grew up, of course, from a recreation center, and they had a gym class. So I got into gymnastics early. And then I right away jumped into baseball, basketball, football. I ended up uh, eventually in high school running track, cross country. I love sports. I like to be active. I can't sit still. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those kinds of people. I have a high metabolism. That's why I'm so thin, I guess. Uh, But, uh, yeah, all kinds of sports I was into at one time. Very cool, very cool. Were your parents like, you know, some type of infamous gymnast? Were they at a certain level of the two of them since both of them did it? Well, my father was actually, could have been in the Olympics, but he hurt his shoulder on the parallel bars. He did something to his shoulder, and that was the end. Oh. In those days, they okay. didn't have the medicine back then, you know. Right. Uh, right. We're talking about the 1920s, the 30s. They didn't have medicine back then to heal things. Okay. So okay. that was the, the end parents, of that. <laughs> right. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but it sounds like they definitely had 
you know, big influence on you, like you said, and being athletic and into sports and liking to stay active. What did your parents, David, um, what did they do for a living? Well, my mother was a teacher. (laughs) I think that's what I got from her, you know. She was an English teacher, and Mm -hmm. uh, she raised, I have a sister, and she raised, you know, the two of us, and as soon as my sister was a little younger, uh, went into school, she went back to teaching. And uh, one thing I, I always wanted to take from her that I didn't know half of this. It's funny until she died, but, well, you know, Facebook's amazing uh, in that, you know, when she died, I posted it in uh, in the area paper, you know, the area Facebook post, and everybody was saying how she inspired them. And, wow. you know, what's that old saying, I'm going to botch it up, but a good teacher tells a better teacher shows, an even better teacher, a great teacher explains or whatever, but a, mm-hmm. a really superior teacher inspires. And that's one of Very my cool. big things. It was probably in the genes is, you know, I want people to look at the positive and I drive people crazy. I know that because, you know, you know, I'm always up, you know, because why not? You, everybody has a choice in life. The, the one choice they everybody has is how they look at something, their Mm -hmm. attitude. And I choose to look for the half full instead of the half empty. That's all. Right. Right. And and I think that, again, that's something that will have a huge impact, you know, on all the clients you work with and inspiring them, like you're saying, just like your mom did Um, as a teacher. And interestingly, you are an educator too. So definitely, like you said, that's something you, you definitely pulled from her. Um, and what yes. about and what about your dad? What, what did he do for work? My my father uh, after the war, <laughs> he was in World War II. He was actually at the Battle of the Bulge, oh, wow. which we never knew until he died. Nobody ever he never talked about it. You know, I've heard wow. about that with soldiers. And uh, he ended up he was one of those people that worked with their hands. He was a great mechanic. Uh, he was a tech sergeant in the army. He was a great mechanic, and he. Really, you know, things with his hands. He was great building things, fixing things, which is so funny because he was great at it. My son is great at it, and it somehow skipped me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm not great with that kinds of stuff, you know. My son could put but, things together without even reading uh, instructions. I can't do that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and what is? And if you don't mind asking, what does your son do? Is he at all involved in any type of entertainment? My, I I thought that he might because I have it actually a picture. I got to dig it up. He was one and a half years old with headphones on that were bigger than his head, programming a <laughs> drum machine, and he Aww. ended up in computers. And he's okay. he's a virtual architect. Is the best I could explain it. He's above a senior wow. engineer. He designs things we use in the future. He works for Comcast, but not the Comcast we know. It's the national pipelines and stuff. And I'll be honest with you, I understand. I'm getting a little better. I understand every fourth word he says. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I have a a daughter, and she's more into the artistic end, but she basically loves working with little children. She works with preschool children. And she teaches oh, really? in that respect. Yeah. 
I saw two kids. Very cool. Wow. Well, it sounds like they're both doing very well. Yeah, but, you know, they're doing fine. That's great. That's great. So let's get into talking about, again, how all this stuff starts to come together. So, you know, what age were you reflecting back? You know, how young were you when you started to really get an interest in music? And can you remember any type of a story or, you know, something that inspired you, whether it was a family member or something you saw on TV? Well, the the funny part is, and you, you have to understand something, I've spent 50 years in the music industry, which means I have to look back an awful long way. But I do remember right. I had this teacher... I had this teacher in fourth grade who noticed I could sight read music. She would get around music books, and I'd never seen music notes. For some reason, you know, uh, maybe in a former life I was Beethoven or some, I don't know. But I could, <laughs> re- I could read, sight read music. And she called my mother, wow. and my mother, well, my parents are both into classical more. And uh, so violin was the choice. And then... I, I don't think I was ever really that good. And I was in the school orchestra, but I was never really good. And then at 13, I realized, wait a minute, you can't write rock and roll on a violin. So okay. the funny part is, for some stupid reason, I don't know why, my mother went to the recreation center and took a class on playing the ukulele. And for some <laughs> reason, I started playing around with that, and then I got into guitar, and I taught myself guitar. It's a great thing about being in classical music. Even if you're not good at it, you learn a lot about music. Mm-hmm. And it was a big help for me later on in life with I- instrumenting, you know, is, I can't talk today. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and arranging music and stuff like that. I could, I know how to think like a bass player. I think like a guitar player, which is very important when you're arranging music and things like that. So I taught myself guitar, and I got really into it. And then about 16 or 17, I taught myself piano. And wow. uh, things, you know, that's how, there's, there's a two, my main two instruments, but I would never hire me. I want people better than me. Uh, I'm good with music in my head, but I never was a great practicer, so I never became a great musician. So did you, and you taught yourself everything? Did you ever take any formal lessons? Oh, yeah, violin. Okay. I I was taught by somebody from the... No, the guitar I taught myself, and I probably break rules when people see me play the guitar or the piano. They they cringe at how I play it, but it works. Right. <laughs> yeah, I get the notes I need. But I play by ear. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. And then again, when did you start singing? And was that something, again, that came naturally? Was that something that you had to hone by taking some lessons? No, I never did. Well, I ended up, <laughs> oh, this is a subject we can get into at some point. But, uh, okay. yeah, I, I right away started singing, and I sang in different things with cool choirs, you know. You sing. I had a very, because very, I was very tiny, so I had a very high voice, and they always needed a, a male that could sing high notes, you know. Right. And, right. Uh, and then I, the only lessons I ever took is when I went to music college. Uh, it was called the Granoff Conservatory of Music. It doesn't exist anymore because Granoff died. Uh, but there was people okay. like Coltrane and uh, Dizzy Gillespie went there, and different people went there. But I took as part of my classes was voice. 
But, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. If you. I'd love to discuss voice lessons with people. I am, I can, I'm a good vocal coach. I'm not a voice teacher. I can help people right. with their voice from the recording thing. Uh, problem with a lot of voice teachers, they get, you know, think about this. Think about that. I don't want think people thinking. I want them feeling. Right. So I, a lot yeah. of times, have to undo people's voice lessons to get them to feel. Now, look, I'm not saying it's all bad. Learning how to breathe correctly is very important mm-hmm. with voice. But the idea is to make it a habit and then forget about it and feel the words, you right. know, and that's what right. I'm about wow. with voice. Yeah, I want to I want right. to feel, you know, if a person, the difference between somebody making it locally and nationally with their voice is communication. I want to close. I feel like somebody's talking to me. Right, right, right. Okay, so you, again, you have this multifaceted background with all these instruments and the vocals, and then and then you start to also get an interest in producing, which is, you know, fascinating too, David, that you start to get involved in doing that. So let's start to talk a little bit about, because we're going to keep moving forward, you know, around like 16 years old, and, and this is when you're getting some pretty big breaks and meeting some really, you know, renowned people in the industry. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, the funny part is, I mean, you know, fate is really funny. You know, things happen for reasons you don't know why. But uh, all of a sudden, for some reason, it's the best to my memory, uh, there was a Temple University professor who was working with somebody with a group from Wilkes-Barre. If I can remember their name, something blues Blues something I could get. American Asphalt Blues Band. That's right, from Wilkesbury. And they asked me to come in. They heard about me that I knew music and asked me to help produce them, you know, and, and arrange and, you know, tighten their music and stuff like that. And what mm-hmm. they did was they then had me come up with them because they made a connection with a very well known producer at that time in New York named Jimmy Einer. Jimmy Einer ended up producing like Three Dog Night, the Raspberries. I mean, these are groups in people's past. I, uh, you know, modern day people might not know of these groups even, but they were very famous at the time. And he mm-hmm. saw, he liked what I did with them. And he says, do you do anything yourself? I said, yeah, I sing and play guitar. He says, I want you to come up here and do, you know, I want to hear you. So I did. And he, you know, he was my break. He was my initial break. Was a, a major producer. Wow. I was. This was out of the Brill Building in New York, which is a very famous place. That's where a lot of the famous songs came from from the fifties and early sixties. It was all written by you know Carol King, people like that. Right, right. Uh, Neil Diamond, cool. Neil Diamond, yeah. Carol King, people like that, who were the writers for so many big people. And I was in this building, and, um, you know, uh, I don't know where to go from here. I, I think I'll let you lead me, and because uh, <laughs> well, I mean, things like kept saying, happening. Is, yeah, I mean, this is this is a major step for you, and, and this guy takes, you know, a pretty strong interest in you to bring you into the building. And, okay, so you evidently showcase some of your stuff for him? I'm assuming yes. that that's what happens, and then what, is, yes. what does he do? Does he gravitate towards it? Does he really like it? Does he want you to do it? Does he want to give it to someone else to, you know what I mean, say, okay. hey, David stuff, but well, David's writing it for well, X artist? 
Well, actually, he wanted me to be an artist. And okay. he liked me as an artist. I remember, I wish, I was trying to remember the other person he had in the room during the thing, but it ended up he really wanted me, and uh, I recall. I kept going up and back to New York to record more stuff in the Brill Building. And, uh, but the problem I ran into, and uh, which is how I, it's, the problem I ran into is he was trying to make me into a pop star. And okay. I was not a pop star. See, he was pop. I mean, with a capital P, pop, bubblegum pop. And I'm a, I'm a rocker. I'm a rock and roll person. I change right. speeds. I, you know, I want to blast it out. I'm not a singer. I don't have a pretty voice. I let loose, you know. And uh, matter of fact, the recordings back then, I can't even listen to because I was trying to sing instead of being myself, which I straightened right. out later on. But I don't want to skip past it because what it does bring up, at that same point in time, I was writing with other people, and a song of mine was ending up on Columbia Records. And I said, wow, my big break. This was for another artist for Columbia mm -hmm. Records. And I thought, wow, this is my big break. And then when I saw the 45, that was the <laughs> medium at the time, 45 Records, mm -hmm. I noticed right. my name wasn't on it as a writer. My name was not on it as a writer. And I said, whoa. I better learn a little bit while I'm playing this star game. I better right. learn the music business. And luckily, I was in a great place to learn it. The Brill Building in New York City, which is, you know, everything was there. The and, top music, everything was there. Right. And so and what David, I did to, was... I just want to interrupt you real quick. I mean, when you notice, again, I mean, you, you've contributed to this song and your name should be on it. Did you have anything in, you know, before that, did you have like a verbal agreement that it would be there or you just assumed, hey, I wrote it, it just, you know, I contributed I it just to assumed there? That he, I just assumed right. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know the person I was co-writing with knew this publisher and it was going to be put out and it was with the record company until it was with the record company. And, right. uh, oh, a, a funny part of karma, though, it was going okay. to be released. It was going to be released on a Monday, and the Friday before they fired all the vice presidents, so it never came out anyway. Oh gosh! Wow! Yeah. Isn't that Armageddon funny? It was the song, I remember this song. It was called "Crying Upside Down." Oh, I gotta. I thought I shut off my phones. That's okay. <laughs> Let me just shut it off. Hopefully, shut it off. Ah. I said, I said, power off. <laughs> Come on. I'm sorry about that. I thought I, I shut it off. It's it. been a crazy oh, hey, day. Like I said, it's a crazy I, I, day. Inquire, I was called by the Inquirer today. I was called by everybody from this thing. Wow. So it, it's been crazy. Yeah, it'll be in tomorrow's paper. But um, where, cool. was, where were we? I'm sorry. So, but you were saying karma came around basically and the song was never released because everyone was tired. Yes. <laughs> but, right. Well, yeah, nobody wants to come in and say, hmm, maybe that was the reason they were fired. <laughs> they were going to put out this song and it sucked or something. I don't know, you know. But whatever right. it is, it didn't come out. So I decided to learn. And 
Back then, it was just the major labels. There was no indie or independent anything. They told you who the producer was. They told you who the company was, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And uh, then what happened to my career at that point, this is uh, late 60s someplace, uh, they wanted to put me out, and it was something to do with Apple Records at the time. And uh, But... Uh, they wanted to give me a pop song because my stuff was in pop. So I, I did it back then. You know, it wasn't a bad song. So, okay, it ain't bad, you know. And uh, and then we find out that, oh, by the way, it was written by a group of Harvard undergrads who were signed to Apple or were going to be signed by Apple or something like that. And okay. uh, the problem was they Apple never released them and then I wasn't allowed to put the song out because they wanted Apple they wanted the other group to release it first uh, you know release their album first then I could come and cover a song you know that kind of thing and okay. uh, they they never released and nothing ever came of it hmm. so I spent so, a year doing nothing except learning I was learning a lot right right and and just to also tie in, remember you were saying that when you were in high school, your mom was like, you got to go to college or, you know, tie that stuff in as you're doing this because how old are you about now when you're, you know, working in New York at this, you know, major building, like you said, with all these major people from these labels? I was in my late teens. Uh, I was in oh, college okay. by wow. 16. I was in college by 16. Uh, and that's when I you were going skipped. to the conservatory? No, no, no. This I went to Temple for a year, which was a disaster. And oh, uh, at that point, I said, no, this ain't me, because I found out phys ed was basically learning a lot of medical stuff, and I wasn't into that at all. I was into sports and music. And okay. uh, no, then I went to Granoff's Conservatory of Music and uh, went there for three years. Okay. But I was okay. still doing the music at the same time. Well, at the same time, right. I was going to New York. It was, up, you know, up and back. Right, right. Okay, so let's start tying in. You know, you're you're going to New York. You're going to school. You're saying to yourself, "Hey, I got to really learn about the business side of this industry if I want to be able to do this." Because, like you said, you almost got yourself into a situation where your name was almost not on something that it should have been on. Uh, so what now. Now, where it started changing and things started happening interestingly was in the 70s, I was, quote-unquote, discovered by a person named Gene McDaniels. Now, Gene McDaniels, people aren't going to know the name too much, but he produced Roberta Flack, Gladys Knight, people like that. Matter of fact, he was the the most important person. He ended up being my mentor, really, because wow. back in the 60s, he had five top five hit records as an artist under the name Gene McDaniels. I don't know people if they're old enough to, or parents might know of 100 Pounds of Clay and Tower of Strength. We, number one, number two hits, and he never made a penny. And he was one of the first renegades, one of the first independent producers who said, I'm doing this myself. He was the one that really taught me the way the music industry really was, not the way the major labels were trying to get me to become. And okay. Okay. what was really going on in the music industry, what was crooked, what was crazy, what was ever, he was my mentor. Just like, I mean, that's why I like to pass on things to 
people nowadays. Mm-hmm. I want them to, to to learn. And you know, I, I even had a class for a couple of years here, just paying it forward. I, I want people. You know, I mean, I'm not going to be around another 50 years, I don't think. And uh, you know, I want people to to you know pay it forward. Well, he yeah. helped me. I learned so much from him just from the way he was and the way he worked with me and things like that. I mean, I could just go through so many things that he taught me about the music industry, you know, and there, like he like, wanted to give like an three example. Like trying to think of some, yeah, trying to think of some, I know it's probably, you know, like you said, you could probably talk about it in the course, but what were some of the highlights that stood out? No, I don't talk. Me? Actually, in the books and courses, I don't talk about myself at all. I, I want to educate no, no, people just, and help them. I'm joking them. around. I'm sorry. I'm, okay, sorry. I'm just yeah. saying if you're doing like a lecture, you might pull in like an oh, yeah. or something. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for, I can give you some good examples. Uh, I was young, you know, and uh, I, I'd written a song that I really liked, and he says, I want to use that for Roberta Flack. Now, I'm this kid, wait a minute, this is going to be my hit song. What are you going to give it to you know, <laughs> right. Roberta Flack for? And then he says, Pooch, so you write another song. You know, yeah, and it it's hit hard, me. Though. It's hard when, you're, it, when something's close to your heart. I and know. I, I can relate to that. I'm sure many people listening, and, you know, whether you're, again, an author, an artist, a, a writer, you know what I mean? People, yeah, you get really close to that stuff. Go ahead, though. And one... One of the major things I learned from him was when he'd come over, and of course in those days it was cassettes, he said, uh, hey, play me some of your newest songs. So I would, you know, play some, oh, he says, oh, before I put the cassette in, he says, do you have something to read? I know, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I want him to listen to my songs. Why is he asking me to put songs in and he wants to read? So <laughs> I did what he told me to. I put the cassette in, started playing, he's reading, reading. All of a sudden, he popped his head up. I want that song. You know, and you know what it is? If a person's really communicating and the song is there, whether it's on stage, look at an audience when you're performing, mm-hmm. a stage performer. If people are all out there talking in the audience in a club or whatever, you know that the artist is not communicating. If they're communicating and that song is great, they're going to be glued to that stage. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what happened, right. you know, and I learned, man, you can't take your eyes off. And that's what he was doing. All of a sudden, he couldn't read the magazine at the time. Okay. Right. Wow. He had to look, and that's how he picked songs. Oh, and, and talk about timing. Here's another funny one. Um, uh, I had written a song that I really liked, and I played it for him. He says, nah. Six months later, I played it again. Nah. Six months later. He says, I played the same song again. He says, well, you've been hiding that song. You know, it's timing a lot. Timing. Because then he could hear it. You know, something, it hit him. Maybe it was an artist he was working with. I forget. We're talking the 70s. A lot of years ago. (laughs) In other words, the point is I learned a lot from him. Just from Mm -hmm. him being him. That's great. And like you said, I think everyone... You know, like you said, paying it forward, everyone needs mentors, people that are going to be supportive and positive, and, and again, that's a huge thing that you have to offer everyone. So let's start to tie in, you know, how did you start to teach yourself everything you did to get to the point that you're, you know, writing books and you're doing lectures and you're teaching courses and, I mean, just all this, this great stuff that you've put together to create basically a business. 
Okay, well, and what happened was by the end of the 70s, I, I can't get through everything, or we'll be here for three weeks. But by the end of the se- <laughs> I'm 70s, but I agree. <laughs> but the end, by the end of the 70s, all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, you know, this. I, I just felt like uh, what had happened was people started coming to me to help them because they saw I knew things about music and, and the music business. And I thought, hey, you know, I really enjoy this. And I found that I enjoyed the behind the scenes more than I did in front of the scenes, I don't know, maybe if they let me be a rocker back in the 60s, you know, it would have been a different story. But that's not what happened. But, you know, fate, you know, there's a reason. The universe tells you this is what you should be doing, pooch, you know. And that's what happened. And, I, you know, through the late 60s and through the 70s, I started learning, you know, a lot from just being around it. There's not, no teacher-like experience you know what I mean? I There's nothing yeah. like actually being out there. I could teach from here to forever, but you got to actually experience. And then all of a sudden, oh, that's why that is that way. That's how you do it and all that stuff, right. you know. And it starts making more sense. So um, I just got, I just started getting into it. And I was, it was funny. And, you know, and I was working with a couple other people that uh, they had me, you know, they were managing groups and stuff in the 70s and stuff, and they would have me around because I knew stuff. And that's when I started picking up understanding contracts, and, which right. is really funny because I have no formal training. A lot of people think I'm this head lawyer of some firm or something, <laughs> I, I, which is funny. I'm not a lawyer. I got to every couple months or so, I have to put on Facebook. I, Contrary to popular belief, I am not right. a lawyer. And yet, you know, I teach lawyers, I guide lawyers, I write contracts for lawyers, I negotiate with lawyers. But back at the time, I just learned it. I just had a knack for contracts. Now, I didn't want to be a lawyer. People say, well, why don't you just become a lawyer? Funny part is, I found that with contracts, you could be creative. And I would right. come up with ways to solve problems. And with contracts, and oh, it's so funny, still lawyers will say, pooch, you can't do that. And I say, why not? It's just they weren't taught that because I'm just using my insanity, you know. <laughs> it, it, well, it's funny, you know, like they say, pooch, do you think outside the box? I say, hell no, I think outside the straitjacket. You know, it's right, just, my right. mind just goes all over the place because I'm, I'm just naturally, luckily creative. creative and that's right. what it got me into liking contracts is because you can be creative with them. And uh, it just, I really got heavy into contracts in the late 70s and through the 80s. And I become, became really good at it by, by the 90s. It took some time because I wasn't studying it really, except in working with it and seeing people's contracts and stuff and learning. I mean, that's, I mean David, that's interesting because that's a, that's a really unique style of writing, so to speak. It's like, you know, like when I did my dissertation, I mean, it took me a long time, similar to you. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a scientific type of writing that I was doing. What you're doing is very, I mean, how do you get yourself to the point that you're comfortable with that stuff? I mean, it's, it's, it seems like it can be very challenging. Well, yeah, but it, to me, see, I only do things that are fun. Okay, so for <laughs> you, it was, like that it was natural. <laughs> it just was natural. I somehow right. p- 
picked it up. And it, because right. I've always been like into the logic of things, and why can't things be fair to both sides? I, I work right. as a mediator too. My thing is, it should be fair to both people. I refuse to work with clients that are either side that's going to rip somebody off. I refuse to do it. You know, right. uh, to me, it can be right. fair to both sides. And if people are willing to be, you know, logical and fair, sure. you know, they right. accept that. Fair. And I mediate, and we always mm-hmm. solve problems. I think one time, I, I, I think I failed at one mediation, but we found out later that this one guy had something in for the other guy. He just wanted to see him screwed up. So, so I didn't feel too bad after that, except for the client that was, you know, that they were playing with. But, uh, you know, contracts were just something I just fell into, and I, I enjoyed doing them. And mm-hmm. uh, just I write them, I negotiate, I, I work with major labels to beginners. But it, it'll bring up an interesting point of how I switched my life even further, because between 1980 and really 2004, I worked way behind the scenes with uh, mostly well-known people. I'll just state that. I, I don't like to drop okay. names and stuff and uh, unless they gave me permission. I have some people, like right. I can mention Jim McDaniels, they gave me permission. I'm very private with people. And mm-hmm. I can say that I work with Luther Vandross, like, you know, P- uh, Al Green, because he wrote something in my uh, – he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because he wrote something on my – on my uh, website, you know, saying he liked my books and courses and stuff. And so I can use his name because he came out and used it. But um, between, you know, I worked way behind the scenes, but uh, I I had this weird thing that changed everything. And I'll have to backtrack a little in a while how how I ended up teaching. But uh, in 2004, uh, I had I was working with Luther Vandross, Al Green, and a bunch of people in the soul thing. I'm not going to get into the whole thing. It would make an amazing movie sometime. But uh, yeah, with cool. a lot of people in the soul thing of bringing out new songs, my style of soul writing, uh, for like Luther and stuff. And then what happened was I had written or co-written uh, songs for a whole Luther Vandross album, ready to go from 17 songs to get it down to 12 songs and he had his stroke Mm -hmm. and when he had his stroke that was the end at that point I just got tired of dealing at that level and at that point it was funny but my daughter says dad she says you know I see you're tired of trying to get people out of messes why don't you prevent these young musicians from getting into messes in the Mm -hmm. first place and nice, that's what happened <laughs> right at, right about that time, about 2004. I've mostly been working with, you know, people coming up, you know, new people, and try to prevent them from getting screwed. And, uh, you know, that's my big thing because I see what happens. I know what's going on. I can read between the lines. I'm lucky that I can do that. And read between the lines of what's real and what isn't real. And, you know, what they tell you, what the – Industry tells you what's really happening, and oh, we can get into that. That'll be fun. Uh, But since then, since 2004, I've been—I love working with young people coming up. And the funny part is, 
there's such a wide demographic. I mean, I because of the internet, I had people 60s and 70s that always wanted to do music. Now they can. They don't That's need wonderful. to be signed to a major label. Right. I mean, I have clients that are 60 years old. You know, I had. Oh, it's funny. I had a mother, a mother who says, "I'm giving you. I'm sending you a check." I want you to help my parents, <laughs> you know, I'm giving them a Christmas present, <laughs> so I'm going to be helping, so mother of kids, her parents are in the six, you know, it's just funny. That's awesome. No, but that is yeah, really you cool. could be, think, you could be any age, any style, anything nowadays. And that's something I think really in, that's important to tie in, too, is that, right, the industry has changed a lot. It's not like you said. It's not like 10, 15 years ago when, you know, you had these major labels with these huge budgets and, and people were going into these, you know, multimillion-dollar studios. I mean, yes, it's still happening, but that's not the norm, as you would probably say. Oh, it's not the norm at all. And believe me, oh, this is a long subject, but I'm going to try to knock it down. But the industry, is t- in the last especially the last seven or eight, definitely even some of it in the last couple of years. I mean, the major labels are making money again, but it's not being passed on to the artist. And if you right. want me to explain it, I'll explain some of the ways it's yeah, not sure. getting to the artist. Explain some, I'll give you an, a simple one. Okay. No, I was going to say, you know, what's funny is what helped with this that brought it out even to the public was the WikiLeaks when they leaked the Sony records, the right. deals they were making with Spotify and stuff like that. These companies with Spotify and Pandora, the major labels, have an equity stake in those companies and they get hundreds of millions of dollars to start off with and it's not passed on to the artist. Not only right. that, to get worse, you know they have freemiums you know, where there's advertising or you could buy a monthly subscription. There's a lot of freemiums that works by advertising. Well, the major labels, what they did was they worked out deals that they're paid by the hour and not by the particular song. So what happens is all the advertising money, they're just keeping because they say, well, we don't know which song to put it through. So they keep all the advertising money. And you cannot get what they call ad rev, ad revenue, from a major label if you're an artist. Wow. So, I mean, so where do people go today in terms of, like, say someone really does want to try to make a career out of this? And, again, it's not that you can't, but it's very, again, it's very minimal that there's going to be hundreds of thousands of Taylor Swifts or, you know, Ed Sheeran's or, you know what I mean? So if someone does want to try to make a career, you know, as an independent artist, what is your, what is your advice well, t- or recommendation? Taylor Swift had her had her parents million dollars. That's what helped Wait, Taylor Swift. That's not saying she's not talented or anything like that. I'm just saying she had a million dollars backing her. Oh, you're saying and her parents she has a very wealthy family. Okay. So uh, well, there you go. But that that always helps. But I'll be honest with you, you can make money in the music industry. And what I recommend highly if you want to get a good, you know, because we can't cover it all today, but if you want to get a really good picture of the music industry and some of the things I'm going to be talking about, it's you go to professorpooch.com and go in my free library. It says free library. And the top, when you scroll down a little, there's a video. And then you scroll down a little, there's 
two articles on the left. The top one on the left is called uh, My State of the Music Business Address that I do, uh, which tells what's really happening in the industry. And then on the right, there's a thing that says Professor Pooch's three-step plan or something like that. I forget it. But it shows you how you can do it nowadays and the way you should do it nowadays because no major label is going to touch you until you can sell twenty-five to 50,000 downloads on your own, have a big buzz that you're drawing tons of people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then you find out that, wait a minute, if I sell 25,000 downloads on my own, I'm making way more money than if I sold 350 or 500,000 with a major label. Right. And I'll, but I'll give you, you I mean, an... Go ahead. So my question here, I'm just going to... You know, I mean, you know, in in a world that's just inundated, so to speak, with, you know, everyone out there and yep. trying to be an artist or trying to be a rock star, I mean, how do you stand out in that, that pool when there's just so many people? Well, it's real simple, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> First of all, now, of course, it, well, it's not simple, but you have to understand something because it does take work. But it's basically, and I'm going to explain this, and I can give you simple mathematics on it. Let me let me just state something interesting uh, to think about. If you go, you hear about these major label stars that are selling millions and millions. Yeah, you know, they have millions and millions of fans and all this stuff. Right. Did you know that if you are an independent artist and you can get twenty thousand real fans? real fans that will spend maybe a hundred bucks a year on merchandise CDs and stuff that equals two million dollars because it's all yours right and how do you do that now the answer is how do you do that how do you do that that's a good point right it's it's one fan at a time and one of my uh, laws is you have to be just as creative on the business end as you or your artist is on the artistic end. And right. it, what it is, it takes a lot of work. And right. this, this notion of DIY, do-it-yourself, do-it-yourself equals hobby. You need a team. Now, it could be some couple super fans. It doesn't have to be the old kind right. of team with the major right. label. Let's, let's look at a great example, Arcade Fire. Let, let's look at them. Okay. Arcade Fire okay. uh, goes to the majors, nobody wants them, because they look kind of, in the majors' viewpoint, kind of frumpy-looking. They don't have that look, okay? So what they okay. did was they, they found a manager who believed in them, who got an investor, and they're doing very well, thank you. Let's look at Macklemore. Macklemore... Went to yep. the majors, turned down. Then the, see what happens is when you start doing really well, the majors come to you, and that's what you want right. happening because then you're dealing from strength. Macklemore uses Warner Brothers for radio airplay. In other okay. words, you can be picky and choosy and stuff, but here's the real key: it takes a lot of work. Right. It also it also takes what. One of my other laws, which is making it in the music industry, is one-third talent, one-third luck, and one-third persistence. But 
if you're persistent enough and really persistent, you have a better chance of being in the right place at the right time, which is making your own luck. Right. And I I have a couple artists who have major things out right now, writing for other people and stuff like that, who it took a few years, but they were at the right place at the right time. Yeah. No, you're right. I it mean, takes it a lot of work. It does. Yeah, they it have does. to work. It. Think, if they're going to sit back to get it, they're not going to get any place. And I think that's that's the challenging thing, is, and, and that's where people need someone like you to be out there protecting them and helping them is, you know, when people do potentially get an opportunity and they're not really aware of, like you said, what's really between the fine lines, what's going to come in the future, and it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is an amazing opportunity. I'll sign on the dotted line. And then before you know it, like you said, you're trying to dig them out of a hole. So I think I, And you, 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 you made a very good point right there. Yeah. And, you know, part of, and I'm going to turn in a little different direction. People see a contract, oh, I'm going to sign it. But, see, when I look at a contract, I don't just look at what's happening today. What could happen 10 years down the road that's right. going to be affected by that contract? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's I think that's important. the serious thing, and I think it depends on the person, because I know personally someone like myself, I don't care if I make a million doing something or I make a penny, but I want to know that I'm protected, whereas most people are very impulsive, and it's kind of, you know, they're in the heat of the moment, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I want to be able to say, hey, I just got signed, and but that's short-lived, and then you, you get into all these other potential problems down the road. Oh, so, yeah. yeah I why did, don't you expand, yeah. expand upon that and just maybe throw out a couple pointers from your perspective, David, of, you know, what should people try to, even though you're so happy and you're so excited and you want that thing now, maybe that piece of cake is something you need to delay. <laughs> Somehow, you know well, what I yes. mean? I don't know how you do that, like for some people. No, you're, you're right. But you know what one of the things, a good piece of advice is? One of the first things when people send me a contract to check over, I right away ask them a question before I even look at the contract. And that is... Uh-huh. A, who is this person or company giving you that contract? You're not signing a contract with a piece of paper. You're signing a contract with a human being. And I'm going to check out that human being. Right. And, you know, are they on the – what does it say? Oh, it's so easy nowadays. Man, put it in Google. Put their name in Google. And check them out. Look for good things. Look for bad things. Look for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and people say, oh, I'm real big. You know, oh, I can do this. Oh, watch out for name droppers. Uh, people, oh, I know this person. I know that person. Oh, we've caught them in lies. <laughs> uh, hey, really good points about contracts, okay? Uh, oh, God, there's so much. But one of the things, most important things to understand is, It's not always what's in a contract that can hurt you. It's what's been left out of the contract that, if inserted correctly, will save you. Right, right. That's a major thing. Yeah. Oh, I love it when people say, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, I just just love the people say, pooch, but it was only one page. (laughs) And I said, wait a minute. I'll make you a bet. I've never lost this bet, by the way. I'll okay. bet you lunch that you give me a one page. I will find stuff that's missing. And if I find right. anything, you just the legal points where to last more than a page. You, certain things must right. be in every contract. 
So, right? I mean, I can't no, lose right. it. <laughs> no, you're right. And I, I wish, yeah, I do wish that people would be more, like you said, educated and just, like, even doing a Google search. I mean, when I wrote a couple of articles a few years ago, and, and I wasn't trying to, again, like, look at you would say as that glass half empty. It was more of educating people. You know, unfortunately, people are very manipulative. And you do need to know what you're getting into. And right, if you put a person's name in who says that they have pages and pages on Google and you're getting a couple of hits on the first page and that's all you can find, that's a warning sign. What's that about? You should be able to find more about that person. <laughs> if and no, you, you are 100% thing. correct. You're 100% right. correct. And, and then I'll see something with somebody. Well, they had something from six years ago. What have they done the last six years? You right. know, right? That's, that's uh, concerning. Uh, that's right. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, there's I mean, so there's so many things in a contract. I mean, oh, and oh, what's happened to me a couple of times lately? It, oh, here's a good one for you. This has happened three times in the last two years. Three people, because one of the first things I ask somebody when they come to me is, "Have you ever signed any contract?" Any contract, because I found modeling contracts that use the word performing in it. And all of a sudden, the modeling, oh, they think, oh, it's nothing to do with music. Yes, it does. It says performing. I'm sorry. And that's their way in. Uh, oh, my God. You, you, there's just so many things. But uh, what happened with these three things in two years? Um, these this were all groups. <clears throat> Excuse me. These three groups thought they were totally, oh, this contract ended two years ago, or this contract ended last year. And I look at the contract, and believe it or not, not only had they not ended, they hadn't even begun yet. Oh now, God. how does Wait, that happen? They're two, years, they're two years into it, allegedly, and it hadn't even started? Yeah, I'll explain that. See, <laughs> there's a word, see... There's a word that they use in all record company contracts. This contract will start upon delivery of your product to us. Okay. Then you look up their definition of the word delivery. Right. Delivery right. to them means to them means that they accepted it. If they don't accept it, they don't like it or whatever, it's not considered delivered. Wow. So the contract had never even started. See, they don't go by years. They go by what is known as contract periods nowadays because of Olivia Newton-John in the 1980s with MCA Records. I think that's who it was. And uh, she says, my five years up, I'm leaving. And, and the record company says, no, you still owe us two albums. She says, my five years are up. I'm still leaving. So it went to court, and she won. Ever since then, they don't use years in a contract. They use contract periods. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And the contract periods that you think they're short, and you find out they last for years and years and years because contract periods start only when something's delivered that they accept, and then they have another nine months to decide if they want to keep you. And then let's say they want to keep you, then they have the right to ask for a second album on the first contract period, and it takes you three months to to record another album, say, for example. Then they have another mm -hmm. nine months, and all of a sudden what you think is 45 months is 10 years. Right. Oh, my gosh. Right. So you people definitely need to be <laughs> They definitely need to be consulting with you. Like you said, these you know, little words that people wouldn't be aware of can have a very – powerful impact and you know you ah. need to really be educated about that 
A little yeah. word. I'd the, a comma can change a whole paragraph. The word the, the word a, can change a whole meaning. I'll give you a quick mm-hmm. example, a simple example. Uh, you know, it says you're not allowed to sign. No, you have to deliver this to. And if they use the word a publisher, it could be anybody. But if you deliver it to publisher, it's a specific publisher. So gotcha. the word A changes the whole thing. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, that's why people listening, and, again, there will be the podcast, too, for anyone who tunes in late tonight. Um, you know, you, you really have to contact David and, and utilize his services because they are invaluable. I mean, and I do want you to comment, you know, as we're talking, please. I know that you, not just the book that you have out there course, coursework-wise, but you do have audio stuff, and, and I want you to be able to, you know, share some of the other things that you have going on on the side, too, because I know that you're also into acting and, and writing and, you know, so you <laughs> just throw yeah. out there your, your your bag of tricks that you have, so to speak. Well, well, let's hit the books and courses first. By the way, yeah, everything yeah, everything I do is in text and audio. When you go to my free library for those two articles I mentioned, you will notice they are in text and audio. I learned that years ago. People want to listen. They don't want to read. So, you know, I put it in text and audio, and I can just do it right in my office. I have recording stuff. And I, I record everything in audio. So my books and courses, there's actually two books, the Music Biz book that you mentioned, which covers the whole music industry and how it operates. And then I have a second book that wrote itself by accident. That was funny. I just found that I had a bunch of material that, you know, I've used through the years, but I never put in a book, so I put it in a book. Uh, that's an audio, too. And I have four courses. One is, and I believe from by I believe in teaching from both sides. In other words, um, one course is artist development, management. Because an artist needs to know what a manager does, and a manager needs to know Mm -hmm. what an artist should be doing. So it's artist development, management. And then I have a book, uh, a course, songwriting, publishing. Then I have one, producing, which is the creative end, production companies and indie labels shows you how to form them how to run them etc etc oh by the way you hear the way i'm talking that's the way i write very simple language it it was so funny um uh, people say to me pooch now that i read your stuff i know what those other books i got were trying to say (laughs) you know (laughs) i I just i talk a very simple language i don't believe in you know talking lawyeries and stuff i talk just the way I'm talking now, you know, it sounds, people read my stuff or listen to me, it sounds like it's just conversational. So I like it that I'm, when I'm teaching, it's like we're all sitting in a room, you know, sitting around eating some pizza and we're talking, you know. And, right. uh, and, to, be honest, it's, and to be honest, David, that's, that's the best type of teacher because that's where you really can absorb stuff and you can learn, right? When it's too much technical jargon it's, and people find it difficult to, to understand, that's when they're just likely to kind of turn their head and just be like, you know, give up on it, so to speak. So, again, your book and stuff, and I'm really highly recommending everyone purchase these, you know, again, they're easy to read, you can really understand, you can learn, you can teach yourself, and that's the whole purpose of this material. Yeah, it's actually a whole it's a whole music business college education with just the courses you want, not the courses you don't need. You know, I mean, I'm sorry there's no math courses and you know, it's just pure music business. 
you know, and I make mm-hmm. it very inexpensive for people because, you know, I mean, God, uh, colleges are charging ridiculous amounts to go to a music business college, like fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. I mean, and then why are they graduating and then coming to me for help? Something is <laughs> wrong with this picture. Well, first of all, by right. the time you graduate, it's obsolete already. Right. The industry's changing that quickly. Who knows what they're going to create tomorrow, the next format, the next thing, you know? And right. I have to stay no, up I to know. date or my clients wouldn't deal with me. I mean, I have to be totally up to date on everything. So, right. it's, you know, and Definitely. I constantly update the books and courses. By the way, it's it comes out to 700 total pages of text and 26 hours of professionally recorded, edited audio. Wow. Wonderful. Very good. It's, yeah, I don't believe I did it. When I finished it, I said, oh, my God, what did I do? <laughs> I really you must have been in a very uh, You must have been in a manic phase, right? No, I'm just joking with you. <laughs> well, I, I know, it, took, it took a while, and, of course, I had to keep it updated, you know, which I constantly right. do at least a couple of times a year. If something drastically changes, I will change it right away. So whatever you get, it, it's brand new because – I, I do it by downloads, and with the audios, you can download or stream. Uh, I right. do it through Dropbox, you know, that way, you know, because it's too big a file right. to mail. You know, right. it's a, 26 hours. I mean, you know, there's no way it's going to go through email, but I use Dropbox, and it's real simple, and, you know, you can download it, you can stream it, you know. you know. Uh, right. A couple of my clients were talking about that's how they get their exercising in. One of my clients was uh bought the books and courses and, and uh she she gets her exercise that way she rides her bicycle and has her you know her phone her uh, whatever yeah the audio thing you know yeah, and she she's learning and getting her exercise at the same time can't beat that you cannot beat that that's awesome so what else um, what else is in store for oh go ahead keep going and then no, you know, just you pull in a couple yeah, other things the funny part is, yeah, you put up the acting, so I will. I yes, I I also work with contracts and business in film. Uh, it's so funny though. I realize something's wrong with this picture, because when they started getting me into acting, I mean, I have this look. I mean, anybody could see I look like I look. You know, it's just the way I am. Uh, but. The funny part is the first role I played when I got back into direct. I had done music videos before, but uh, when I first, uh, they wanted me to, they, somebody called somebody and says, we need you to play God. I said, <laughs> okay. But here's the funny part. Something's wrong with this picture. The first film thing I did was God. The next I played, <clears throat> excuse me, at two different times I played Wizards. Going down, Okay. the next four were mental patients. Okay. Now, the last six, the last six, I'm a homeless person. Oh, no. So I've been going steadily down from God, and now I'm down to homeless. So I'm looking for something a little different lately. But uh, okay. I do it for fun. I like acting. But, by the way, here's another thing, very important. People say, well, I notice you're getting songs into films. Yeah, because I'm acting in them. And I'm seeing the scripts, and I say, wait a minute, I have a song for that script. Okay. You know, it's a way to do it. I work with the film community. Folks, you know, out there, if you're a songwriter, get in with the film people. They need music. They need sound. They need help, too. 
And it's so not music anymore. It's multimedia. You can't do music without videos nowadays. Right, right. Yeah, it's a great point. So, for example, well, 90%, you, you if someone... Go ahead. Now, I was going to say 90% of the people who look for a particular song, they go to YouTube. Case closed. Right. But again, I mean, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of thousands of, you know, vi- you know, people up there with stuff. So how do they True. sort well, through? Like, because you need to be, hey, of course, you know, I, I must bring up, it does help to be talented, folks, you know. But it takes right. a lot of effort and a lot of help and just doing everything possible, <clears throat> excuse me, to get seen or heard. Uh, one of my clients, I'm not going to go into names and stuff, but one of my clients is doing very well now because he happened to do a cover song by Justin Bieber. And Justin Bieber saw him doing the cover song. And the rest is history. He's doing very well now, writing for major people as a writer and producer. And the majors are after him because he was seen by somebody. That's that persistence. Took him five years it does take time. You know, you got a right. picture. It's going to take five years of every day. It, yeah. You have no, to love right. what you're doing. You have to want to do it badly enough. Now, the, but what's great is, I mean, like you doing it, you're doing it for fun. And there's nothing wrong with that. And if something right. happens with it, great, you know? Right. But, right. but there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to be a superstar, you're going to have to really work. And really right. get with the right people. It's effort going places. I mean, I got into. I mean, I go to the film meetings. I go, there's film groups just like there's music groups on Facebook interesting. and things like that. Very interesting. Okay, that's, you have that's to really be creative to on the business right. end. Right, and it's hard because sometimes you don't think outside the box like that. Because I, you know, necessarily wouldn't have thought. Wow, get in touch with some. Film agencies well, or some film groups, or that—that's a great, there you, go. you know, that's a great pointer. Yeah. Well, look, really, let really me good. tell you, and and like I said, there's no do it yourself. Just like I guide a lot of people and I help a lot of people, but I can't do it for myself totally. I'll, I become the hopeless artist at that point. I have somebody that manages me, right. you know, because yeah, well, I can't do my own too. stuff. It's you need help. Right. You can't do you everything. Know. I have four people that work with me. You know, one right. with the videos and stuff, because I'm constantly into what I call edutainment. You know, people, the only way they're going to learn is if you're fun. You know, so I make it entertaining as well as educational. I do video and and uh, stuff, and uh, I have help with that. I have help with my web pages. I'm lost, you know. I have help with managing. I mean, you need a team, you do. No, you're right. You're you're right, and I think that's the another important pointer that you put out tonight, David. Is yeah, you do. You can't just do it on your own because it just becomes a mountain that you're constantly climbing and just it's a like, hobby. Yeah, right. Do it yourself equals right. hobby to me. Right. And some people get right. in it for the wrong reason. You know, it's, it's, you'll find people. You'll say, "Well, why do you want to become big? Because I want to become famous." You know, right. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's not a reason to make it. You have to really love what you're doing, the music, and, and really put everything into it and work hard on it. I mean, I, you know, 
I still, even at my age, and I've been in 50 years, I work seven days a week, 14 to 16 hours a day. Now, right. I like what I'm doing. I only, and mm-hmm. I, learned a, I learned a major lesson in life. And that is, and this makes it much more, much easier to, to do what I do and work that many hours. Uh, it's another one of my things of like, basically, if you stay away from negative people, obnoxious people, and drama queens and kings, the rest is easy. You know, it, right. and people, you know, you've got to stay away from negative people. You've got to be around positive people. Right, or or you learn as you go along, too. You know, sometimes you have to learn your lessons the hard way and just say, you know, hey, I've, I've hung out with certain types of people. This has not benefited me, and I can't gravitate back towards those types of groups or, you know, however you want to frame exactly, it. So right. Exactly, exactly. Right. Because I, I'd, I've seen very few people in music that, that haven't come to me at one point in time and say, oh, man, my parents are just... You nobody earns a living in music. Uh, hey, I'm standing proof. I've been in 50 years full time that you can earn a living in music, but it does take work, and you got to put effort into it and everything you can, and learn as much as you can, and get as much help as you can. But make sure you're getting help from the right people. Oh, right. a couple things I should state very importantly: if anybody wants to manage you or be your record company, or be your publisher, and asks for money up front, they're not legit. Okay. There's, well, pe- there's expand, people ripping people and off. They ask it for money. You know, that's not legit. Right. If they want you, they will invest in you. That's a good point. Right. Right, yep. So, again, everyone who's tuning in tonight again, you know, like David's saying, there's really value in what he has to offer, the tools he has to offer with, like he said, the audio, the books. So definitely I highly recommend everyone go to Professor Pooch and not only purchase his services, but who knows, you might be using them for some type of a contract at some point too. So. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I end up doing so many contracts for people, and people say, oh, I don't have to deal with contracts. Well, let me tell you something. It's the only way to protect yourself. Right. I mean, it really is. bands. Bands must have a partnership agreement, or nobody will take you seriously. You won't. You can't get an investor if you don't have a partnership agreement, and you should have an LLC. They, they just like the major labels. Investors want to see that you're a business up and running. This is the 2016 music industry. You right. need to be a business up and running, or they'll think it's a hobby. Right, right, right. So. No, I mean, what's uh, what's in store for the future? Any other things you want to just, you know, briefly throw out there and plug in terms of things that are happening in Professor Pooch's world, we should say? Well, besides my, you know, clients, I'm not going to abandon them. I'm doing a lot, going into a lot more video and radio shows and and TV kind of stuff. I'm going to be videotaping because I want to start teaching younger people. Yeah, like, for example, I'm now on the advisory board of what's known as Rock to the Future, where we help underserved people. And that's one of the sad things in, like, Philadelphia schools, and I'm sure all over. When the school systems want to save money, they cut the arts programs. And 
So what's happening is Rock to the Future, I'm working with them and helping them on the music business end. Uh, to, you know, these are students that come after school. They have 300 now. They're doing very well. And they're helping great. a lot of people. And the great thing is they don't, you know, but if you're going to do your music, you've got to do your homework. And they make sure you're doing your homework and you're going to go to college and take marketing or business, you know, learn the business of business, you know. And uh, right. that's very important. But, yeah, my thing is I want to start uh, doing some videos and TV and stuff for uh, younger people and because they're getting into it at very young ages nowadays. And, I'm, you know, and since I speak in simple language, um, that I want to hit, like, you know, like the middle school people and the, and the nice. high school people. And that's what I'm working on. That's what uh, Rock to the Future does, and uh, which I'm thrilled about, you know, helping them. And uh, But also I'm going to be doing a lot more videos and audios and radio shows I'm working on and a lot of video and audio, you know, multimedia. It's what it's There you go. There you go. Wow. So, so much in the works, and you've accomplished so much, as you said, over these past however many years, and I don't want to throw it out there because, like you said, you've been around for a while, but it's a good thing. Well, 50, I can say I've been in the music industry 50 years, and I've been guiding people's careers for 35. I don't mind saying it. People know me. I have more energy than most people a quarter my age is. Right, right, that's true. People around me see me (laughs) running all over the place. I was at City Hall today back in my office talking with you, and I got a bunch of work to do afterwards, you know, because I have to keep my clients happy and uh, help them out and stuff like that. But I'm going to, I think, collapse for a little while after this. Yeah, I think you've had a very long day and a very successful (laughs) day. So be very proud of everything you guys did today. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, and it was a lot of people's help and, and uh, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of people getting together. It's shame it took something negative to bring everybody out fighting this bill. You know, it's in City Hall in Philadelphia, but it worked. The bill has been squashed, and now they're going to set up a, you know, we want to build this area. I mean, it's not just Philly, it's... It's Jersey, and, and it's the Delaware Valley, Jersey, and Philly, and Delaware, and, you know, Maryland. I mean, what people don't understand is if you draw a triangle from Cincinnati or Cleveland, take your choice, to Boston, down to Washington, D.C., it's like mm-hmm. three-fifths of the United States population. Right. Right. Does that sound ridiculous? But that's what it that's is. Crazy. It's New York City, Boston, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Washington D.C., Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati. There's a lot of people in this area. Yeah, you're right. I mean, so it's again kind of coming full circle, so to speak. I mean, it's great that you guys were able to get out there today and do your thing, and uh, you know, make sure everyone in Philly in the music scene gets. You know, that's what they need to get rather than having something negative impact them. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm one of the original renegades, I think, you know, and uh, Gene McDaniels really brought that out of me because he was a renegade, and I realized, oh, I didn't want to be a pop star. I didn't want to be a star. I like doing music, and I'm a rock and roller, you know. So I want to do rock and roll, and I still record. I I still write for people, and I'm recording. I I enjoy it. It's that's my you know. If I if I had to, 
If I was told you're only allowed to do one thing in life, Pooch, I would write songs. That's what I love wow. the most. Right, yeah. right. It's just so but, much fun. I can bang at my guitar, pick up my guitar and bang <laughs> on it, and just have fun, you know, and let loose. That's awesome. But again, you have so much to offer. So songwriting is, I think, only a, a small part of uh, the talent that you exude and that you offer people. And again, I think it really is just how genuine and authentic you are, and that's something that I think we need in this world, especially in the uh, you know entertainment industry where people get eaten up and spit out pretty quickly. So I'm glad that you're I here for us, Pooch. Definitely. Thank you. Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a great interview. And, um, again, let's continue to promote it so people can uh, tune in and hear about you and your background and everything you have to offer. And, yeah, please feel free to plug again where people can find you on uh, the social yeah, media sites. Yeah, uh, we'll... just remember the name Professor Pooch and just put it in Google. I'm all over the place. Uh, but professorpooch.com is my main site where I have a bunch of free articles and everything is in audio also. And my books and courses are on there. There's a lot of stuff on there. And uh, oh, my email address, real simple, pooch at professorpooch.com. And I answer everybody myself. I don't hand stuff over. You know, just write me a pooch <laughs> at pooch like a dog, you know, like woof woof. Uh, pooch at professorpooch.com. Very good. Well, thank you so much, and we will uh, definitely be in touch for a show at some point in the you know in the later future. And yeah, we'll definitely uh, continue to plug this uh, podcast for you and get the word out there. Okay, thank you very much for All having right? me on. Absolutely, David. It was a wonderful interview, and uh, much success to everything that you're doing. And I'm looking forward to thank you continuing seeing what you're up to. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much, David. Sure. Have take a great care. night. You, you too. too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everyone. Again, David Spangenberg, uh, better known as Professor Pooch. If for some reason you tuned in late to the show, please download the podcast. They are available on iTunes as well as on my website. So please just listen to his interview. He really has a lot to offer people, and I highly recommend his services Again, a genuine, authentic person who really cares about his clients and wants to see people get the best out of what they can in the entertainment industry. And the main point is not getting taken advantage of. So visit him again at professorpooch.com. That's where you can get all the audio as well as the text for his books and um, services that he has to offer. And you can also find him on Facebook. You can befriend him on Facebook. You can follow him. He has a, a, a page, Professor Pooch, too. Um, where you can get information too. So thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Um, if you have a Twitter account, follow me at Carrie Edelman. I always always follow everyone back, so send me a request and I will follow you back. I'm also on Facebook. Um, one of my pages is currently maxed out, but I love to keep in touch with people that way too, so send me a friend request on the one that is not maxed out. And also become a fan of the Carrie Edelman Show, and that's where you will see all of my upcoming dates for shows and um things that I have going on. As I said, there's about 200 interviews to download. So again, bands, musicians, artists, uh, comedians, filmmakers, you name it, um, I've, I've had them on. And I really do a lot of research and take a lot of time with my guests. So similar to David, I really care about my interviews and I really want to bring a unique interview. So every interview is different and really tailored to the person that I'm having on the show.
So thank you so much again for tuning in tonight. Have a great night and uh, keep posted. I will be coming up with, um, I have some comedians that I'm booking and uh, also some major national bands that are going to be coming on in the next few weeks. So thanks again for tuning in and have a great night.